0: It is always a joy to be with you. Welcome, if you are a first timer or a long timer, we are glad you are here and our community is better having you here. So we're glad you are here. Uh, I'm Michael, I serve as one of the elders at Harvest. Um, I wanted to just take a moment to give some explanation to that because it may be confusing. Um, If you've been a part of a different church, the, the words we use for leaders in the church can, can differ, and that can be a little bit confusing. Um, in some places, they use the word pastor. In some places, they use the word priest. In some places, they use the word elder. And then, you know, there are other words beyond that. Um, so in the, the New Testament, the, the word elder and the word overseer and the word pastor are really used interchangeably so if you hear the word elder it it more or less means pastor Um, what it doesn't use in the new testament for the church is really interesting it's insightful it does not use the word priest and so what uh, according to the new testament um the church is not led by anyone who has some kind of higher standing before God, but rather one of us. We are the elders of Harvest KL. We are sinners. Surprise, surprise. Um, The more you get to know me, the more you will realize that. Um, But we are sinners saved by grace. And so we come before you to, to serve to help make sure that that harvest is, is functioning in a way that is biblical and godly, but we don't come before you with any kind of higher authority or better standing before God. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that um, it for for all of us before Christ, if you were to, you know, I don't know what what heaven looks like but if you imagine it like a police station with a computer and they can call up your records i hope it's not like that but and they pull up all of your records every single one of us it would just be a a long ledger of guilty 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 and then when we come before god in christ for those who are in christ it pulls up a completely different set of records. It doesn't pull up our records, it pulls up the records of Christ, which is that of innocence. That's the beauty of being in Christ, is Christ gives us new life. He gives us forgiveness. And so, Gupreet and Andrew and Miles and I, we don't stand in a different place than than any of the rest of you who know Christ. We stand together before Christ, humbly, saved by grace. Okay, that was, you're probably worried now because I haven't even started the sermon and I've already had a tangent. Anyway, let me pray again. Uh, and I wanted to specifically um, pray for the nation <clears throat> the nation of Iran. Um, just if you follow the news, uh, just they're going through a lot right now. And so I just want to bring them before God. It's one of the beautiful things. Another beautiful thing about Christianity is that we together can go before God and intercede on behalf of others. Um, So what I want to do is um, just give a little bit of moment of of space for you to personally pray for the, the nation of Iran. And then I will voice a prayer after that. So let's pray. Father, we... Um, we sang already, we, we heard your word, and we will again hear your word that, that you are the God of all nations, that there is no king or president or prime minister that, that stands above you or even equal to you. And so, Father, you are the God of all nations peoples in all nations. And so, Father, we come before you with hearts breaking over the nation of Iran and the suffering that's happening, uh, the injustices. And so, Father, we pray that you, in your mercy, would um, relieve the, the suffering that is going on,
1: Father, we ask that you would uh, intervene for the people of Iran.
0: But Father, we know also that there will not be any lasting change or peace without you. And so God, we pray for your people in Iran. Give them the courage to share about hope when it seems like there is little hope to be found. And so, Father, we pray that for the church of Iran, that you would give them uh, the strength to love boldly, to share the gospel courageously, to to help and to to just love everyone, including those who are perpetrating such, such violence. God, we pray for those in our congregation that have families and friends and loved ones there god we pray that you would give them peace when there is worry give them the willingness to forgive when there is a building bitterness father i pray that you would give them a desire a willingness to to uphold them before you to intercede on their behalf and so god we pray that we would see you Move in Iran as you have done before in history. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We as a church have been going through the book of Isaiah, and we are in a somewhat unusual section of Isaiah. It's uh, commonly called the Oracles Against the Nations. Um, These are the chapters that many people Um, either just flip past really quickly or read but kind of read and don't read at the same time they're they're a little harder to understand they have lots of names and places that we don't recognize and we are today going to um we are going to cover chapters 17 to 23 so fasten your seat belt um we won't cover it like chapter by chapter or word for word because um, uh, I don't have the capability to do that. <laughs> Maybe someone else does. But, um, but we're going to kind of meander around these chapters a little bit, and then we will land more squarely in chapter 19 and just draw from, from that. I love history. I'm a a lecturer in history. Um, I just love to know the stories that that brought us to where we are. And there's so much that can inspire us from history, but there's also the just, it's full of power struggles and betrayals and bloodshed. In fact, when you study history in school, often that's what you end up studying is is the wars and the assassinations and the overthrowing of governments and all of that. In the late 1800s,
1: it was thought that humans are getting better. Technology was making big
0: advances. Medicine was improving. Agriculture was making new advances. Many societies were becoming industrial. Industrialized societies. It seemed like maybe there was less bloodshed for those living in certain places at least. And this led to many people to think that we're getting better and that
1: humans are basically good. This also meant that people saw less need for change. Then in 1914, there was a guy by the name of Franz Ferdinand, considered royalty,
0: who was assassinated in a small nation called Serbia. And before you know it, all of Europe was embroiled in war, everyone (laughs) taking a side almost. And then before you know it, the whole world was embroiled in that war. There was violence in French Polynesia
1: because of the war that began in Europe. 20 million lives lost. Everyone's optimism should
0: have been deflated by that. We're not getting better. We just wasted 20 million lives over petty disagreements. They called it the war to end all wars. As if we just got it all out of our system. We're all done with wars now. Is that true? Was that the last war? No, clearly. If you go to the news page of today's newspaper, you will see news about
1: war. The point is this. Human beings, we're not getting better as we suppose.
0: People are not innately good. We not only see it in our individual lives, but we see it played out on this international stage. So, this morning we're going to look at this in four parts. Why do the nations rage? How do we see the nations? How does God see the nations? And how does God want us to see the nations? Why do the nations rage? So we've been covering chapters 13 to 23. These are the oracles against the nations. And so you can see a quick snapshot of of all of the stuff that's being covered in this. And when we started in this three weeks ago, I gave a little bit of the explanation on why we're, we're covering this and why this is in the Bible. And one, one big reason is it makes, the, it makes the statement that God is not just the God of Israel. God is the God of the
1: whole world, of all the nations. God is no mere tribal God. God is the God of all. He is
0: creator and he is ruler. He sustains everything and so it covers all of this we 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 won't be able to cover in detail we talked already about babylon and we talked about moab last week why do the nations rage three quick points god's judgment is well deserved and that's for multiple reasons In chapter 17, verse 4, it says, and in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low. The fat of the flesh will grow lean. This means that the the Israelites thought themselves to be glorious.
1: And, And that is a rival to God's glory.
0: And also in chapter 17, In verse 10, it says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and
1: sow the vine branch of a stranger, you have forgotten the God of your salvation. The nations have forgotten the true God.
0: Israel included They turned from the Most High God and would turn to little gods, gods who are not really gods. They masquerade as gods,
1: but they are really human-made objects of worship. And that's the other point, is false gods Chapter 21, verse 9,
0: it says this, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images
1: of her gods he has shattered to the ground. It makes the point here that Babylon
0: had actually created their own gods. How How
1: is that worthy of worship? And yet we do that all the time things of our own creation we
0: give way too much honor to we give way too much of our heart to and so god's judgment is sure chapter 22 verse 5 says this for the lord god of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision a battering down of
1: walls and a shouting to the mountains Those found guilty, there will be judgment.
0: We see judgment come about different ways in these chapters. It might be at the hands of another nation. It might be through natural calamity. It might be that the
1: nation destroys itself from within through corruption and exploitation. And so we see
0: in chapter 22 and verse 14, surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die. This very well sounds like bad news, right? Um, You're probably wondering, uh, why did I come for this doom and gloom moment? So then how do we see the nation? Throughout these pages, we see that the nations think too much of themselves. We've seen movements in the the last few years of rising nationalism. And I want to just be clear here. There's a difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism is a form of support for your country, even cheering on your country. Nationalism is a view that your country is superior in some way to other countries. But it's a temptation. We may have a belief that there is a competition between the nations. They can't all
1: succeed. But is that true? The nations are trying to prove themselves to be better in some way.
0: And what happens, though, is it actually, it's not just like, oh, those those people, the government. It happens in the citizens, right? It happens in our hearts. Pride, power, possession, they all become part of this thinking about the world. But there's no nation that is innocent. No nation has a clean record human rights abuses, corruption, injustice, greed, the poor and
1: the powerless in every nation could tell you some stories of how things have broken down.
0: Here in Malaysia, just in a micro example, I've met a number of Christians that don't always realize it but are quite abusive to their
1: employees. I've heard them excuse it in different ways, but usually they explain
0: it in some form that they are actually helping them. A few years back I was at a <clears throat> another church. It was when our it's when Jaden was really little and had trouble sitting through a whole service, and so I was in the back. They had this area for parents to take their kids, so the you know little ones can run around and make noise. Um, sermon was piped in, and so I was back there with with Jaden, and um, there was a couple of other moms back there, and they were talking, and and one of the moms had brought her Cambodian helper with her. And so the other mom was asking, why do you make your helper work on Sundays? And so this other mom answered, she's like, well, she's Cambodian, she doesn't have any friends here. So what else is she going to do? Well, what does that say? That says that I don't really honor her as having her own time. I will make decisions for her, right? There's a, there's a superiority that developed in her heart that made her feel like she
1: could rule over this other person's life and not give her Sabbath rest. So how does God see the nations? We heard Psalm chapter two read earlier. And it too had
0: some strong words, wrath and sadness. We've talked about already the fact that God is clear about judgment that falls on everyone and that no nation is innocent. False worship is robbing God of glory. Claiming our own glory is also robbing God of glory when we seek our own glory, whether uh, through fame or fortune or just to feel good, it is, in essence, putting ourselves before others, which means that we are not loving our neighbor as
1: ourselves. When glory goes to us, we blaspheme God. We treat others less than ourselves. This, I would submit to you, is the root of
0: our our wars and our violence. It's people who think they are better than others or more deserving than others. So my, my point here is the world's biggest problems are not because of big political issues Rather, they are issues of the heart. Greed, racism,
1: a lack of fear of God, pride. They're all conditions that, that
0: every human battles, every person battles.
1: But it isn't judgment or wrath. I mean, sorry, it isn't just judgment or wrath.
0: God also demonstrates a deep love for us. We are all created in God's image. So last week we talked about the oracle against Moab. And although they rebelled against God and they had devoted themselves to a tribal God, we are still told that God wept over them. He wept over their plight. He knew that they needed to be judged, but it did not give him, he did not do so happily or gleefully.
1: He was sad about this judgment that would befall them. In chapter uh, 22, verse 4, God says this, look away from me.
0: Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. This is an oracle against Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was no better than any of the other nations that are called to task here. Jerusalem harbored just as much corruption and oppression and idolatry. God does not take joy in judging the nations, but neither can he just look the
1: other way. So the truth in all of this is that we will all face God's judgment. Are you
0: willing to stand before a good God with your record? Whether you've been to church every Sunday of your life, or whether you do not believe God exists in any way,
1: we will all face the creator God. Is your record unblemished? Have you done everything right? I can't answer that for you. But there is hope. Hope for those who call on God.
0: Buried in the midst of these oracles is a a chapter, just a fascinating passage in chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to chapter 19, and we'll look briefly at verses 18 to 25. The whole chapter is devoted to Egypt, once a powerhouse nation, a nation that centuries earlier had enslaved Israel. So let me read these verses. I'm starting in chapter 19, verse 18. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliverer, and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This
1: is the word of the Lord. What an amazing passage. Can you imagine? I don't know how how much you stay up in,
0: you know, geopolitical politics, world news, whatever. But imagine the modern nations of Egypt and Israel and Syria and Iraq, all just getting along wondrously. I mean, it's so unthinkable,
1: it's hard to even imagine, I would guess. Egypt will have people who worship God, in verse 19 and 21. Egypt
0: will be humbled to the point of crying out to God. Already at this time, Egypt was a shadow of its former glory.
1: Um, You know, nations rise and nations fall.
0: It was tempting for Israel to try to create some kind of treaty with Egypt so they could stand
1: against Assyria. So these nations were not friendly to each other at this time either.
0: And so the people of Egypt cry out to God.
1: And God hears them because God is the God of every nation. Anyone in the world can pray to God. And what does it say then? God will send them a savior and defender. God will deliver the people of Egypt.
0: And this is partly extraordinary because when we think about Egypt as people who read the Bible, we may, Our minds may go to Exodus, centuries earlier, where for 400 years the, the, the Jews were enslaved by the Egyptians, and it was a very, very hard time. And when they were seeking their freedom, the, the rulers of
1: Egypt would say no again and again and again. But God is not done with the Egyptians. God's promise was to
0: send a savior. Centuries later, God did just that. A savior came. The one Isaiah was talking about, Jesus, born in humble circumstances, who actually took refuge in Egypt because his life was threatened in Israel. He was to live a life that was blameless in every
1: way. Unlike the rest of us, unlike the nations that used people for their own gain,
0: Jesus died a terrible death so that we might gain life. Jesus didn't come only for the Jews, He did not come only for you and me. Jesus came as Savior of all of the nations. He is Savior of the world. There is no other. Egyptians, as well as Malaysians, Filipinos, Iranians, Nigerians, Indians, Pakistanis, Ukrainians, and Russians,
1: even Americans... Jesus is the savior of all.
0: I want to draw your attention to, to verses 24 and 25 for a minute. It says this, I'll just read it again. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed saying, blessed be Egypt, my people and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is something we miss just too often. Israel, Egypt, and Assyria are spoken about together as God's people. Can you imagine how the Jews felt hearing this? Their enemies are
1: being, God is saying, they're my people. They thought they had exclusive rights to God. And here God is calling Egypt, his people. God brings the
0: nations together through the savior he sent, his son, Jesus. How do we have world peace? I don't know if you ever saw the the movie, Miss Congeniality. Um, You know, it's. Uh, i don't go into the storyline but it's at a there's a a beauty pageant and there's this one woman who's an undercover fbi agent who's not really beauty pageant she's not the norm for a beauty pageant let's put it that way and so they have this point of the interview and all of the the contestants come up one by one and they're asked you know what is your plan for the world? What do you want to see changed in the world? And every single one of them, um, world peace. And everyone's,
1: woo. <laughs>
0: And then this undercover FBI agent gets up there and is like, uh, harsher restrictions on parole violations. And, you know, she goes off on some police stuff. And like, everyone's just sitting there, like, They don't know what to do with that. And then she's like, and world peace. But it's funny because it's so preposterous, right? We can't just wish the world into peace, right? And the reason for that is our hearts are bent beyond our control, right? We have innate rebellion. Peace among the nations is not impossible, but we can't make it happen. It is only through Jesus that it can happen. There is only one way, and that's for us to seek out the Savior, call out to the the one who will deliver our salvation. So how does God want us to see the nations? What do we take from this? Three things. Warn, witness, and worship. Okay? It's a W kind of day.
1: First, what these passages give us is a warning. There will be a day. Throughout these chapters,
0: you see on that day, there will be a day when we will face judgment. Every human who's ever lived in all of history and all of the world
1: will face judgment. I don't know if you've ever gone hiking. You know, usually
0: it's a narrow trail. And if you go hiking with a group of people, then there are people behind you. And if you happen upon some kind of slippery rock, then the norm is then you're going to warn the person behind you about that slippery rock so that they don't fall and then that person in turn because they can't you can't you're not just going to stop and make an announcement down the trail then they warn the next person you have now heard the warning now who will
1: you warn about judgment that is coming secondly to witness there are people all over the world who have no hope, are living in
0: despair. They may, you may see them on a daily basis at work and they may be all smiles, especially in cities where are kind of trained to say, oh, everything is good. Life is good. I hate life, but life is good. <laughs>
1: And it is an opportunity for you to offer hope when all around them is darkness.
0: Witness to people about the savior. There is one who can bring peace, not just global peace, but peace to our hearts. And that's really the start of global peace is peace in our hearts and that can be found in Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He came to give himself as a sacrifice so that we might have this peace that the New Testament says it transcends all understanding. In other words, we can't figure it out, but it's amazing. Have you experienced that kind of peace? If you haven't, I would urge you to call out to
1: Jesus today. If you have, don't be selfish with it. Don't hold it to yourselves.
0: Pass it along to others. They need it more than you think. And then this passage describes Egyptians worshiping the one true God. One of the things in in early Christianity was actually Christianity grew quite significantly in Egypt.
1: In fact, it was the cradle of Christianity, Christian learning for uh, many years. Um, What God is creating is worship of all the nations. Let me read briefly from Revelation chapter five. It's a picture of what is to come. We'll read starting uh, verse 6 through 10. And
0: between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowels full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain by your blood and you're ransomed by people from every language and tribe and people and nation. And you have made them
1: a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. It's a beautiful picture. One of the, the amazing things about Christianity is
0: it is not captive to any one culture or any one language or any one place in the world. It is worship of the one true God. Every nation will bow. We have an opportunity even today to join in this global worship together. So warn other people about coming judgment. Give witness to where there is hope and then join in this global concert of worship. Will you join me in prayer?
1: Father, we, um, we come before you just acknowledging that
0: how easily our hearts can get carried away with our own pride, or maybe our obsession with power, our obsession with
1: uh, maybe national interests. But Father, too little do we acknowledge that you are God, that you were God yesterday and today and tomorrow, that you are the sovereign ruler And that before you, you have called us to to bow down before you. So, Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves as your people. That we would call upon you for salvation. That we would
0: acknowledge that where we are failing, that you will deliver. We thank you for bringing us from death to life. And so, Father, we pray that you would use us, this small little congregation in one part of this vast world, to be a shining light of good news about Jesus to the world around us. Father, that even now, as we worship as people from many different nations and languages, that we would begin to realize that you have already begun a marvelous work among us. And so, Father,
1: that you would show us how to carry this forward. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.